where we go from here No matter how the cards will fall give up on you Everything's gonna be alright I know you believe it too If I'm gonna be alone Let it be with you Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. We talk with musicians about songwriting, music making. My name is Mike, and you were just listening to We Can Always Come Back to This, the recently released single by our guest Chris Pierce. Chris co-wrote this song a number of years ago for the hit television show This Is Us. In our discussion, he tells us about the process of writing music for television and the acclaim this particular song received at the time. Now Chris has released his own excellent version of this great tune. Chris Pierce is an L.A.-based singer, musician, and songwriter, and one of the nicest folks I've ever had the pleasure of interviewing. As you will hear, Chris is an incredibly busy artist, always has a lot of projects going on, and as he tells us, at the time of our chat, he was just about to head out on a very exciting tour. Chris was kind enough to take some time out for this conversation, and not only that, when we got together to record remotely, we had some technical issues with my recording platform. Chris was not only very patient with the resultant delays, but he ended up switching us over to his Zoom account, setting us up and actually recording the session himself. That is the recording that you will hear. So thanks to Chris for being so professional and helpful in the moment. We didn't have nearly enough time to get into all the aspects of the projects Chris has been and continues to be involved in. But it is clear that his life has always been entwined with music and the creative process. When Chris tells us his compelling personal story of facing down a rare medical condition at a young age, one that all but eliminated hope for his life plans, it is an amazing tale of perseverance. And at the same time, it is also perfect evidence of his profound commitment to a musical life. Chris talks about his collaborations with the incredible artist Sonny War as part of the duo Warren Pierce, in addition to working on her recent record, Anarchist Gospel. I was not able to get permission to include the song we discussed from that record, Hopeless, which Chris sings with Alison Russell, in time to include a clip here in the episode. But do yourself a favor and, as Chris also insists, listen to this whole Sonny War record, Anarchist Gospel. It is one of my favorites of the year, and you can listen while you wait for Chris's record, Let All Who Will, which will come out in a couple of months. I would also like to thank Chris for being so thoughtful and so generous with his thoughts about his art. Chris has written a lot of songs about the black experience in America, very powerful songs, including several that we discuss. Please stick around to the end of the conversation where Chris talks at length about his song, American Silence. I know Chris has been asked to talk about this one a lot, so I'm thankful that he was willing to take the time to speak so eloquently about how he views this important song and his intentions around it. This is a great conversation with a charming, insightful, and incredibly productive artist, one I really enjoyed. So please enjoy for yourself this Tell You What conversation with Chris Pierce. Look all night down. 
Chris Pierce, welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. I can see you're at your home in California. Do I have that right? You do. Yep. I'm home for a, a few days here. Uh, I just got back from Mexico. Uh, incredible time at uh, the first annual Rancho La Puerta Folk Festival with some incredible artists like Mary Goucher and Amber Rubarth and Kashana and Jamie Harris. Um it was just re- Alex Wong. It was really, really a beautiful time, amongst others. And uh, it was a wonderful healing time. We all got to be together and make music, uh, uh, kind of in the spirit of the healing powers of music, which we all believe in. Uh, my wife got to go with me, which was wonderful. Yeah. And now I'm home for a few days, uh, and I'm getting ready to embark on on a really exciting uh, tour coming up here starting Friday. Yeah, let's hear about that tour. I know what it is, but tell our guests what you'll be doing. Uh, well, I got invited uh, by uh, Neil Young, uh, legendary Neil Young, to uh, open up his solo tour. He's going out after several years uh, away from touring uh, to play some rarities, some songs that he doesn't play too often uh, on some really cool stages, some stages I've always wanted to play. So it's just extremely excited. And the whole thing uh, stemmed from uh, his longtime engineer, who was one of the producers on my new album, the great Nico Bolas, um, played Neil one of my songs called Tulsa Town. And from what I heard, that sparked the interest to reach out to me and see if I'd like to to open up the, the dates. Yeah, well, you brought up the song Tulsa Town, and I'm glad you did because that's the first thing I want to talk about. It had an impact on me as well. Um, we're going to circle back and talk about your background, your creative path, but let's talk about this song right now. You wrote this song around the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre, where affluent black neighborhoods of Tulsa were bombed and burned by the white residents of the city. Truly a dark moment in our country's history. The song really captivated me in several ways. Musically, it's like a haunting waltz, and I really appreciated the haunting background vocal chorus as well. But I want to talk about the point of view of this song. Can you talk about the narrator in this song and and the creative choice to use the narrator that you did? Absolutely. And, and I'd also like to, uh, to bring up that this was a co-write with an incredible writer friend of mine named Mark Malone. Okay. Um, and, uh, and we, we really want to address this in a way that wasn't just like a history lesson. It took so long for this to kind of come out and, and for anybody to hear about it. I didn't hear about Tulsa, the Tulsa race massacre until I was in college. And that wasn't right. coursework. Uh, that was from friends uh, talking about it and the community talking about it. And a lot of people don't know that this is something so horrific that happened that took 75 years to even be inve- investigated. Um, and the point of view of the song is actually coming, uh, it's just coming from the point of view of a man being hung. And it's coming from an empathetic view of what he's seeing and feeling. Um, and kind of that forced empathy that we see so much where the accused and the, and the victim in situations uh, are forced to find some kind of... Uh, they are forced to find empathy and they're forced to find forgiveness 
um, while things are being done to them and after things have been uh, horrifically done to them and their community. And so this, for me, is a really powerful look at what a man who was about to be hung or being hung um, during the massacre was thinking. Um, There's a line in it, the fire grew wider than they meant it to and burned their houses through and through. Well, that's what fires will tend to do uh, here in Tulsa town. And all the ashes look the same, falling through the smoke and rain, swirling down the city drain. And it's this kind of this, this view of, of, first of all, why are you accusing me of doing this during the song? Uh, what did I do to you? Why is this happening? I'm trying to understand what you're actually thinking and what is prompting you to do these horrific things. And then it's also just trying to make sense of it all as uh, this person is is being hung from a tree. Um, so for me, it's a really chilling uh, way to look at it. And we wanted it to be that way because... Uh, it needs to. We need to talk about these these horrific acts. For me, I want people to be appalled. Uh, I, I want them to to be angry about what mm-hmm. happened. Uh, so, and th- hopefully, that will give them a chance to reach into their empath- empathetic hearts and and minds, and and to maybe try to do something about um, situations that they see in their daily lives. That, ref- that are reflections, maybe small reflections of what happened at Tulsa Town. Uh, yeah. maybe, maybe big ones as well. Yesterday we both agreed What's this got to do with me If they just sweet Lord let me be here in Tulsa Town But they never Listen to my plea and tied me to this hanging tree. But that's the way it goes. You see, when they're burning Tulsa down, where Tulsa town is burning down, ashes falling to the ground. If you build it up, they'll break it down here in Tulsa town. Questions this, the answer to here in Tulsa Town. Yeah, well, it is a powerful song and it is marvelously put together. Um, you should really be proud of it. And this will be on your new record, Let All Who Will, which is slated to be released later this year. Yeah, September 1st, uh, Let All Who Will. Uh-huh. Uh, well, your previous album, American Silence, was a stripped down acoustic sound. This is going to be a bigger band type production. Yeah, it's it it is. You know, we I'm still playing acoustic on every song um, and playing some harmonica. Uh, I assembled some really great players and songs like Tulsa Town. You know, there's cello on it. Uh, Ginger Murphy, the bassist Cave Rastagar is playing upright. Doug Pettibone's playing, uh, and uh, I think he's playing a Weisenborn on that one. So. Mm-hmm. There are definite, definitely acoustic elements, uh, but we also plug in a little bit as well on this album. And uh, we had a lot of fun. It was a, it was a session. The way that Nico Bolas and Dave Resnick set it up was we all went into Sunset Sound Studio Two, and we did it very old school. 
um, everybody sat in their <laughs> in their spot, uh, dialed in some sounds, and it was just kind of like, okay, what song should we do first? We you played them live. We played them live, and we probably—I don't think we played any song more than twice. Wow! Uh, and I was singing and playing live uh, with the band. Wow! Uh, yeah, so it was a really cool uh, experience, and I think that the the album, the sound, uh, hopefully reflects that—the kind of the the synergy that was happening, the the fellowship that was happening in the room. Just all a bunch of friends. Some some of these folks had not seen each other for years and had played on records together. And it was just like a kind of a big reunion for a lot of us. Yeah. Well, I've heard two of the songs so far. We're going to talk about the other one a little later. I really look forward to hearing the rest of it. Um, for now, let's back up a bit and talk about your creative journey. I get the impression that music has always been an important part of your life. Can you talk about the music of your childhood, how you found your way to singing and making music as your vocation? Sure. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely correct. Music has always been a part of my life for as far back as I can remember. Uh, the, my mother always tells me that before I could even say a, a word, I was crawling to record covers and pointing <laughs> at them, um, the ones that moved me uh, and asking my, you know, my parents in a way to play those records. And, you know, all of these incredible sounds, uh, folk sounds and rock and roll sounds, incredible soul sounds. My dad was a, a, a big fan of, of kind of underground soul. Um, so there was everybody from Solomon Burke to James Carr to Otis. I mean, every, everything was playing in our house to even classical and jazz sounds. So my folks were just really big um, fans of music. My mother also, uh, being an English teacher, was a fan of, of, of lyrics and content and stories and storytelling. Um, and so that was always really important uh, growing up and, and pointed out uh, when we'd listen to a, a Joan Baez song or something, my mother would point out, she'd stop the record and say, now let's talk about the story that was just told. That's great. Um, yeah. And so it was really incredible uh, to grow around. And, and, you know, i I feel I feel like because of watching my parents demonstrate to me how much music moved them and how important it was to them, I feel like that really helped me kind of realize how powerful music can be in people's lives. And I think that that probably prompted me to want to be a music maker. It's kind of like when you see a doctor save somebody's life for the first time. Some people say, oh, I've wanted to do that. Yeah. Um, and I saw the tears and I saw the emotion and I saw the celebration and everything in between in my house uh, that music could do. It wasn't anybody watching the TV or anything like that. It was just a record spinning and all of these emotions were coming out. And I, I really believe that that affected me. So were you singing from a young age? Was that how you expressed yourself musically out of the gate? Absolutely. Yeah, I was singing. Uh, I learned how to spell my name by singing it. Literally. <laughs> and eventually you picked up the guitar, harmonica. What was your first instrument? Yeah, my godmother gave me a, a guitar, which I still have. It was an old Yamaha gut string guitar uh, to learn on. And uh, I was self-taught for a while. And I also um, started singing and I went to an Episcopal church, uh, Episcopal school, excuse me, mm -hmm. uh, that my parents sent me to because the, the schools were, weren't that good in our neighborhood. A little, little rough. So uh, they sent me to this school um, and I was immediately in the choir 
singing and I was always the tall kid in the back rocking back and forth. Um, obviously very moved by the music. And, uh, and from a young age, I started getting, you know, the solos. Um, and, uh, and that, I think, probably told me something that, that oh, maybe, uh, maybe I can, maybe I'm pretty good at this and maybe right. I keep doing it. Getting that from, from the school and from my peers, getting that kind of, uh, you know. Encouragement. Encouragement, yeah, it was yeah. really, really great. So when I was a young teenager, you developed a rare hearing disorder, otosclerosis, I think I have that pronounced correctly. Yeah. You lost all the hearing in one ear and most in the other, right? And you eventually had a procedure that restored some of your hearing in one ear, but still none in the other, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I basically lost all of my hearing in both yeah. ears. Yeah, until I had the procedure. Okay. Um, and that was shocking. It happened pretty fast. And, you know, my, my soul was in crisis. And, and I was just, my heart was broken. I already had all these plans. Uh, musically. Uh, musically, yeah. To yeah. go to college and study music and try to get on some stages. And I was already singing in groups and had already appeared on on television and radio by that time. Um, and so this was a, this was a crisis. So yes, I did have surgery on my right ear where they replaced, uh, the, my stapes bone. Uh, it was kind of a grueling, grueling process, but I was able to regain some hearing, uh, about 60, 70% in my right ear. And then it was kind of like having hearing for the first time, you know, I had to kind of learn everything over balance and placement of my voice and other placement of everything around me. You had to um, rewire the brain, basically. Exactly, exactly. And then they didn't. And so I did that. And I'm, I'm actually still doing it after all these years. Every time I have a chance to sing or play, uh, depending on where things are placed and what room and how live the room is, it's like constant learning, which, um, yeah. uh, but I will say this whole thing, Thing, that whole process of what happened and what's happening, it really, for me, uh, is a reminder constantly of how much I must love music. Mm -hmm. <laughs> After all of these years to still be making music and for it to be as hard as it is uh, emotionally and physically sometimes to do it, the fact that I've continuously fought for it. And yes. I've never really sat back and said, oh, no, I shouldn't be do this. Or maybe it's the universe speaking to me. Um, maybe I should find something else to do. I've never said that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm always willing to fight for it because I think that, you know, deafness is kind of a superpower to me. I, I sing differently uh, from a deeper place. I listen mm. from a deeper place. I really read emotion uh, in crowds and in personal conversations really deeply in a way yeah. if I had so this so your output. creative output has been impacted in this way by what you right. went through like the songwriting itself yes absolutely absolutely and I still I had uh 30 years later I tried to have the surgery in my left ear and it it didn't work out so yeah uh, I'm still still deaf in that ear I mean there is a lot of I hear a lot of empathy and compassion in your songwriting and and I think what you're saying is some of that comes from having gone through this and the way you take in the world. I believe that. I believe that to be true. You know, and I believe that really uh you know, it it made me the person who I am, you know, and I always look 
try to look inside of things instead of just on the exterior. And, you know, and this is kind of like, you know, what we were just talking about with Tulsa Town, about the man who's, you know, some, who's has, has having this horrific thing done to him, but he's taking the time to try to look si- inside the souls of people to figure right. it out. And nothing as bad as that has ever happened to me, but uh, some pretty bad things have. And I've always, you know, had this point of, of stopping, uh, trying to be as empathetic as possible, trying to look deep into inside of what might be going on with that person to make them do the things that they're doing. And I think that losing my hearing is, is a huge part of that um, because it really forces me to. Uh, it, it's made it a natural thing to do uh, over the years. It's like I don't even think about it. I just yeah. always look try to look as deep inside of everything as possible. Yeah. So has, has songwriting always been there for you from, from when you were young, or when did you actually start writing your own material? It has. It's always been there for me. I, I was one of the one of the unicorns, one of the fortunate ones who had parents who who were always pushing me and saying, go do it. Uh, there was never a conversation about uh, you might not make enough money. There's it's going to be this up and down uh, mm. uh, thing where you, you, you might be depressed. I mean, there's none of this. Uh, it was always if you love it and you're willing to fight for it, do it. Uh, yeah. So from early on, I was writing songs and expressing myself. Uh, for as, pretty much as long as I can remember. And as busy as you are, you still manage to be a very productive songwriter. Do you have a daily practice? How are you, how are you getting all these ideas out into the world? I try to write something every day. Uh, and that could be a word. That could be a song title. That could be an idea. That could be a, me singing gibberish into, the, into, into my phone. Um, but I try to exercise that part of my brain every day. Sometimes that means writing five songs in a day, but most of the time it doesn't. Has uh, that ever, that's actually happened? Five songs in a I, day? I woke up uh, during the pandemic. I woke up one morning with very clear uh, a thought of five children's songs. Um, and I quickly got up and I wrote them all down and recorded them on my phone while I was doing it. Uh, and I've, it, it, five songs came out in a morning, probably in two hours. That's great. Uh, I, I've never released them. I have them kind of sitting on, on my computer, but uh, maybe someday I'll release them. But they, it, they all came in a dream and they were all there right when I woke up. That's awesome. Yeah. Probably a good time to talk about the other single you recently released, 45 Jukebox, which is also from the upcoming record. As this is a songwriting focused podcast, this one is calling to me. I'm going to read the opening lines here. Writing in the base of the well, fingers getting ready to climb. Going to put that pencil to paper, laying all the truth on the line. What we have here is a song about songwriting, right? That's right. That's right. About the songwriting process and about what we do and 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 why we do it. <laughs> and the soulfulness uh, and the process of what we do. And, and this is a song for me that's... Uh, I wrote it with a dear friend, Sam Hollander, who's an incredible writer. And we were just really talking about, like, trying to write a song that really gave folks an inside look and gave folks an empathetic look of, of what we do, how we really have to scratch and claw uh, yeah. through it all. Uh, Except when you have a good dream. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just kind of, you know, the process and and that things come from all over the place and... You know, the kind of analogy of a 45 jukebox is, is, you know, 
when that song finally uh, is picked and that record drops uh, and is played on the jukebox and your song is finally reaching another soul, what that feeling is like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I think that that is the hope for a lot of us. Some of us don't write to have hits. Uh, others do, but I think that all of us write for connection uh, and we want to write something that connects with other hearts and souls and minds. And, and to me, that's what 45 Jukebox is about. Riding in the base of the well, fingers getting ready to climb. Gonna put that pencil on paper, laying all the truth on the line. Lyrics in the dead of the darkness Spinning for the twist of the light Oh, try, try, free my mind Blowing like smoke so high It's worse for the blind Spirit like a 45 jukebox Waiting on the drop of a dime Records on the road of freedom I've been waiting this whole day of life For my soul to ride Did I also read that you also teach some songwriting? Do I have that correct? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I, uh, about six months into the pandemic, I got a call from my childhood voice teacher, Jennifer Madsen, uh, who teaches at a college in Ephraim, Utah. And she said that uh, position was opening up uh, and that I should maybe apply. And so I did. And I got the position to to, to be the professor of music business there. Uh, so I took that and started teaching that online. And then we had the idea to do a songwriting workshop. We, we call it songs that make a difference. And mm-hmm. we go in and we really talk about the process of writing and really try to pull ideas and music and uh, messages out of the students that they feel their communities and the, the, the world needs to hear songs that will actually make a difference out there in people's lives um, and really trying to pull from their own experience and their authentic experience. It's a semester long workshop. And then at the end, we pick certain students to showcase their songs in a concert format. Uh, and we're all there to cheer everybody on. And it's a really powerful and emotional uh, process. I've had students yeah. talk about all kinds of things uh, and some really tragic stuff. Uh, but it really is always a reminder to me of how powerful songs are, how powerful they can be. Yeah. That's great. It must be pretty rewarding for you. Absolutely. So you are incredibly busy and productive musician. There's no way we have time to discuss all the directions and projects that you've been and continue to be involved in. Let's talk about your work with Sunny War, though. She is a unique talent, to be sure. You released a record with her under the name of Warren Pierce. From this record, I really like the song The Map, which you wrote for the record. The song touches on how our ancestors guide us, I think. Can you talk about this song and and working with with her on this project? I am am such a giant, giant, giant fan of Sunny. Sonny to me is is just a one of those once in a lifetime artists like when she plays and where she comes from it's from a a, a whole other uh, dimension and place and time uh, and so unique and she is just a brilliant 
player. Um, yeah. As as most everybody who's heard her that's listening to this podcast and will from looking her up will know. Uh, once you hear her, she is brilliant, just absolutely out of this world. So I'd like to say that first. Um, I'm in agreement with you. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was fortunate enough to meet Sonny. Um, uh, through uh, the producer of Warren Pierce, um, and he thought it would be good to get us together to try to write, and uh, and we all started, the three of us started writing together, and we just basically get together and talk and write a song uh, and record it the same day, and that's how we came up with our first EP. We'd write the song, and then we'd, re we'd record it, and the map, um, that song came after we released our EP, I believe... Uh, that I had this line, let my spirits hold the map. Uh, and I brought that to one of our meetings. Sonny heard that line and just started playing this part that just blew my mind. Um, and we just started vibing on it. And we started really talking about our ancestors. And we have a lot of similarities in that uh, some of our uh situations like our family tree we don't know a lot about because of slavery hmm. um, and because there were, weren't a lot of things documented. Um, but what we do know um, is that the folks and the folklore that we know about our families uh, is just incredible. Uh, it makes us both feel like we're from an incredible, powerful, um, strong lineage of people that have uh, persevered and overcome so much. So that song is really a celebration of that. And it's, it's for us, it was a, a reminder to, to always look back when looking forward uh, into what we have and what we're rooted from, uh, where our, where our, our lineage comes from and how powerful that is and, and how we have an opportunity to kind of move the, the dial forward. I ain't no Christian, but I stay keeping the faith. Nobody listens, but I still kneel down and pray. Only because my grandmother taught me to. All that she was lives on in all that I do. I ain't no doctor, I know how to heal myself. There's no prescription, this history of my health Only because my grandfather had it too All that he was lives on in all that I do I let my spirits hold the map Let my spirits hold the map I let my spirits hold the map Let my spirits songs with a lot of different people, put out records with different projects. Warren Pierce, we mentioned, the trio Leon Creek, number of solo albums. Many of these things are going on simultaneously. So from a songwriting perspective, when you sit down to your daily practice or coming up with ideas, 
Are you sitting with a specific framework in mind, like I'm writing today for this project or that, or do you come up with ideas and they then find their way to the appropriate outlet? I'd say the the simplest answer is both. Yeah. So sometimes, um, sometimes I'll know that I have like a Warren Pierce or a Leon Creek uh, writing session coming up. And so I'll try to think of thematic ideas and, and um, maybe words and melody ideas that kind of, uh, that I feel kind of go along with that project and could add to the repertoire of that project. Um, so that's part of it. Other times, um, and oftentimes I just, I just write to write. There might be a song that I write that I'll go, Hey, this, this would be good for Warren Pierce. This would be good for Leon Creek. And what I usually do is I just send it, send little ideas and snippets around. Sunny does that too. Um, like she'll send me a snippet of something and, and I'll do the same. And I'll say, Hey, do you think this would be cool for Warren Pierce? I just came up with this idea. And then some songs, I feel like I just know they're supposed to be on an album of mine. And it's, it's, I don't know how I know that, but I think it's just a feeling uh, like this is extremely personal. Um, I only hear one person singing it. Yeah. Um, it's, and, and so I, I will kind of keep that one and put it aside for a Chris Pierce album. Do you think there are some ideas that could find form in various projects? I do. I do. As a matter of fact, um, Sonny and I wrote a song uh, called Time Bomb that's on my new album. Uh, it was during during the pandemic. I think it was like, uh, I want to say 2021. Sonny came up with an idea. Then I did some writing to it. And I think that we were at first thinking it would be a Warren Pierce song. And then... It kind of just turned into this thing uh, that worked for my voice really well, and then Sonny came in and sang on it, and we did we did the thing. So we ended up doing it at one of the sessions for my album, uh, the album that Let All Who Will that's coming out. Um, and so yeah, it happens for me. I, I try not to put too much stress on it. You know, it's like whatever happens happens. You think about songs like Stand By Me and Unchained Melody that have been done like hundreds and hundreds of times. It's like, okay, yeah, I mean, we could put it on, out on both if, I mean, right. you know, it's like, yeah, for me, it's, it's always the more versions that are out, it's just more of a chance for it to reach other people's hearts and that vibration, different vibrations reaching different people. So yeah, I can't stress on it. Yeah. That's a good point. Continuing to talk about Sunny War for a second. She has this amazing new record out, Anarchist Gospel. I've been playing this one a lot at my home. You're all over this record. You've written a song for it. You sing and play. One of my favorite tracks is Hopeless, which has some of Sonny's wonderful finger-picking guitar on there. You get to sing this one with the incredible Allison Russell, right? That must have been a real treat. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't know if this is public knowledge, but we actually <laughs> recorded uh, all of our parts in different. Actually, I think Sonny and Allison were together but I, in Nashville, but I was in L.A., Okay. Um, but I do know Allison enough. I've played shows with her. I just actually opened for her at the Troubadour sold out show a few months back. And she's just incredible, as we all know, both spiritually and musically. And that song, Hopeless, is, uh, is, was originally on a soundtrack for an album, uh, called Love Jones back in the 90s. Uh, and it was written by an artist named Van Hunt. Okay. Uh, a great artist uh, who's been around for a long time. And uh, and so it was 
especially cool because uh, Sonny, Allison, and myself all knew the song and were fans of the song, and we were able to really put our own spin on it. And it's like three different perspectives coming together uh, in this really stripped-down, soulful version of the tune. Yeah, that that whole record is incredible. I'm so, so thankful to be a part of it. And the song we wrote together, Swear to God, G-A-W-D, is yeah. uh, <laughs> it was a really fun one too. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody should check out that record while they're waiting for yours to come out. I want to talk about one more song if we can, American Silence, yeah. released in 2021 on the album of the same name. Very powerful song that addresses head on the role of white complacency in the face of racial violence. Now you've written a number of songs that address social issues, the black experience, And as we mentioned before, you seem to focus on starting conversations, opening doors. You seem to have a lot of empathy for the human condition. Yet some of your songs, American Silence being a striking example, you really challenge the listener, address them head on, kind of calling them out. So as a creative person, how do you navigate this continuum of how direct and let's say angry your writing approach is when you're trying to use your art to affect change? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, there's been a, a lot of talk about that song in my world lately. Um, uh, I had a friend bring it up recently and saying that he, that he thought it was a, uh, that song was a little too forward to open up my set with and that it mm-hmm. might um, might turn some people off. And my answer was that that song really, to me, comes from a lot of love and a lot of empathy and really wanting to approach the subject of silence, not a, not as something that is, um, like, it, to me, it's not an argumentative approach. It, for me, I feel like when somebody approaches me after show, and this has happened, um, and is immediately argumentative with me about what I've spoken out about. Um, my approach in disarming them is to start asking them questions. Well, exactly what do you feel that was that, that, that upset you about the song? Let's talk about it. Now, do you think that folks shouldn't rise up and talk about these things? Um, what would you do if you saw me getting beat up by white supremacists in a parking lot? Would you just keep walking? Uh, or would you maybe stop or do something, try to do something about it? Would you call the police? Uh, and so to me, that song is really just trying to ask people these questions. Like, will you actually do these things? Can it be part of your everyday life? Um, I've been affected by it. My family's been affected by it. My friends have. Now, are you willing to actually stand up and do something about it? And I wrote it at a time when I was really feeling, um, uh, I was feeling encouraged because it was, it was 2000 and everybody was home and everybody had the time and capacity uh, in their schedules to get out on the streets and stand up for each other. Right. And at the same time, I thought to myself, what happens when the pandemic's over? 
when folks don't have the time, when folks don't have the extra hour to carve out of their day, when it's not convenient for them at all to get up and stand up, when they're worried about keeping their jobs again uh, and not standing up for those reasons. So what happens then? And so I wanted to write a song that really at that time says, you guys are doing great, but you have to keep doing it. That's the only way. It's like my parents were marching for this and now we're marching for this. And there's this huge gap in between. There shouldn't be these gaps. And and your kids and my kids and, and the grandkids should not have to to be doing reminding people again not to be complacent. And so for me it it had to be very direct. Um and I I think the job is uh, or the song's been doing its its job. I think it, yeah. it, it really has has reached uh people in the right place. Yeah. There's a one line about um Will your applause mean anything with stitches on your mouth? And to me, that song was that or that uh, idea was very direct in, in the analogy of stitches on somebody's mouth. But I wanted it to be like something that made people listen, you know, yeah. like listen to this. Think about it. So I, I don't know. I, I could go on and on and on. I probably have gone too long about that song, but it's a really important song. I I, I think it's important to not give up on humanity and not give up on on the human condition and our capacity to be resilient and and fight and stick up for each other Uh, we can't it can't be something that we give up on we can't give up on each other you know and that that's my version of saying i don't give up on you don't give up on me yeah well it is it is a very powerful song and i appreciate you taking the time being so thoughtful to talk about it um We see the music move you as you lay your burden down We feel the music grip you as your heart is soaked in sound And when the song is over, if you decide to clap aloud Will your applause mean anything with stitches on your mouth? Can we sing a song for you? Will music move your heart and mind? Will our song arrest you? American silence is a crime. I have taken up a lot of your time. I want to ask you one or two more questions if we can. That's cool. You've had some songs placed in movies and TV shows, right? I'm sure you always welcome that as a working musician. But did I read that you also have done some writing specifically for TV or movies, where, like writing for specific scenes or plot points, that kind of thing? Yeah. The, th- the biggest one that comes to mind is the television show, This Is Us. Um, yeah. I got a call from the main composer of that song of that show, uh, who I had met at South by Southwest about 10 years prior to that. And he was just starting to write for the show. And uh, there was a scene, a particular scene that needed a soulful sounding song that needed to be uh, 1969 to 1971 uh, kind of vibe. Uh, And so we got together and I saw the scene and it was just a beautiful scene. 
And the guy, uh, Ron Cephas Jones, uh, that it's in the, uh, in the scene that plays the father actually reminded me of my dad, my late, my late father. Hmm. Um, and it was a scene where he was telling his family to look up, not down. And he was in his deathbed. Um, and then there was kind of this backstory of, of how the song was written. And so that song just kind of flew right through. Uh, yeah. I, I guess I was going to ask, do you find that kind of writing easier in some way than coming up with, you know, trying to find an idea and start from scratch? I think so. I think in that particular instance, it, I didn't feel any pressure. I felt like I felt like the song was already probably written somewhere and I just needed to be vulnerable enough to let it through. Yeah. Um, and they ended up using three different versions on the show. It was nominated by the Guild of Music Supervisors for Best Song Written for TV or Film. It wow. made the Billboard Blues chart for four weeks in a row at number one. And I got to play it on the Emmy stage, the Television Academy with the orchestra. Uh, so it was it was one of those things that that uh, <laughs> really worked out, and it felt like writing a song for a scene, but at the same time, it felt like just writing a song because yeah. it, was, it was like already there. That's um, awesome. So I to answer your question, I'd like to do more of it. If anybody's listening that needs from t- the TV and film world that needs music, I am available. Call me. Email. All right. <laughs> Operators are standing by at Tell That's You right. headquarters right. right now. That's right. Chris yeah. Pierce is ready. All right. One more big picture question, Chris. Is there something in your creative life when you look back that you think you have gotten better at over the years or alternatively, maybe something you are working on in your creative life to to get better at? I feel like I feel like I'm getting better at being direct in songwriting um, and not beating beating around the bush. And I feel like I'm being better at just being confident in the fact that what I have to say matters, um, and that there's space for my experience, uh, and to not shy away from talking about certain things. I feel like this time of uh, the pandemic, I hate to keep bringing that up, but we just talked about people having time and space. I feel like I had the time and space to really kind of deal with some stuff that I hadn't dealt with, uh, that's happened in my life and deal with them in a way that I felt like, okay, I have this thing called songwriting. (laughs) Most people don't have that. Um, I can write about this. I can record it and maybe 10 people will listen to it on Spotify and maybe it'll change, uh, somebody's heart or mind. And, and it's okay that I talk about these things. And I really came to a place where I realized that, you know, everything that I can leave behind in this lifetime is in song wise is it's really just kind of like historical evidence of my existence uh, on this planet and one person's perspective and one person's journey. And that can help. That can help humanity, uh, whether I'm here or not. Um, so I, I've been constantly working on getting better at that, of really sharing not only the stuff that I love about people in life, and but the stuff I really feel like needs to change as well, uh, and get really getting in there for the, the hard stuff. I think that the thing that I can't stop, it's really hard for me to not do, is when I'm on, when I get a chance to play a song, it's like, 
I always give everything I have, you know, and sometimes I feel like I'm not as present because I just get into this thing and I close my eyes and I'm just mm. like trying to put as much of my heart on the table. And sometimes I feel like I'm not really thinking about the story, that it's a little too internal. And so I've been constantly working on that. Um, and that's something that I'm going to be thinking about a lot during this Neil Young tour, because I have the chance to play in front of a lot of people who have zero idea of who I am when yeah. I walk in and walk on that stage. And so I really want to connect with them uh, as much as possible. Um, and number one, I really want to support Neil Young in a way that um, can really add to the experience and and really support him and his show. That's my job yes. um, for him. Yeah. Well, I, I had the uh, fortunate experience of seeing you play to a handful of people in a hotel room in Kansas City at Folk Alliance this past year. And I got to tell you, it was a pretty great experience. So uh be a little different in the big stadiums, but you know how to bring it. So I'm not I'm not worried about that. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for taking this time, as I said, out of your busy schedule. This has been a great conversation. I actually got to see my guest for once because we we jumped over to Zoom to record this. So this has been kind of fun for me. We're looking forward to checking out your record when it comes out in September. Let all who will and uh, give our best to Neil. Thank you. Will do, Mike. Thank you. It was wonderful talking with you as well. Thank you for taking the time as well. We can always, 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 always come back to this. Ooh.